I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey people, how's it going? Welcome back along the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal versus Southampton. Friday night football under the lights at Emirates Stadium, and what a huge, huge game it is for Mikel Arteta's side. We're going to be breaking it down, talking about how we think it's going to go. We're going to be going through Mikel Arteta's press conference in which uh, he said quite a bit and on a number of subjects. So there's a fair amount for us to unpack. Uh, we'll also be taking some of your thoughts and questions. We'll be sharing a prediction as well as talking about the starting lineup that we expect to see and maybe that we'd like to see uh, on Friday night against uh, the Saints. So lots and lots to get into as always. If I could just ask you, if you haven't done so already and you're new to the channel, oh, no, you're existing. Uh, you're an existing member of the channel or an existing subscriber of the podcast well you might as well leave a like you, you know what you're going to get by now so if you still don't like it at this point why are you even listening no, i'm kidding um leave a like on the videos it really really does help subscribe to the channel as well if your brand spanking new we are coming to you at a much later time uh today which wasn't the plan uh, i did say to you guys that i was going to keep the upload times nice and consistent and we'd managed it for what two two and a half maybe three weeks we were on absolute fire and I don't want to sit and make excuses, but I am going to make an excuse today because I think if I get this little rant off of my chest, I think it will help me to get through the bad mood that I'm currently in. That's the disclaimer at the start of this show. I'm in an absolutely rotten mood. So how um, I'm planning to come out the other side is by venting to you guys, ranting to you guys about what's put me in this mood. And then we can leave it in the past and we can move forward and we can talk about the football. So basically, I should have been home today a good two hours before I actually got home. Whoever is in charge of the rail networks in the UK should be sacked on the spot. It is an absolute disgrace. I know there are some really good people that work in the rail. I've got friends that work for the rail companies and they're brilliant people. But generally, as an organization, the way they do things in England, in the UK, is honestly, is shocking. So I catch a train in the morning into the studio, into 90 Min, at rush hour. Right, first thing in the morning, we get on the train and we make our way into London, as do lots of people from the area in which I live. We're on the outskirts of North London, into central London we go. The train is made up of five carriages, nowhere near enough to fit the number of passengers that need to make that journey and that commute in the morning. When I was coming back this evening, smack bang in the middle of rush hour, they put a train on, which is five carriages again. On the board, it said there were 10 carriages and a train rocks up with five. So all these people are desperately trying to get onto the train. They're all pushing and shoving each other, shouting at each other, screaming at each other. Move down, move further down. The poor people inside the carriage have moved down as far as they can possibly go. They're going to have to start climbing on top of each other. Uh, the next thing, you know, if they're going to fit more people on the train, people are ranting, raving, shouting about it. It was absolute carnage. Yet yesterday, 
when I came home at 3 p.m., nowhere near rush hour, there was a 12 carriage train that was completely empty. It is mad. It is, it is honestly mad. And then to top it off, I thought, do you know what? Fine. It is what it is. Sometimes this happens. I get annoyed when this happens and I can't be bothered with all of the, the hullabaloo. So I basically, when I come across situations like this, I come out of the station. It takes a little bit longer because of the traffic, but I come out of the station and I order myself a cab on the app. I jump in the cab, close my eyes and I wake up at home. Only today, because of the demand around the trains and because of the issues with the trains, there was a surcharge. So I paid double the price for my cab home. Not only did I pay double the price for a cab that took me double the time that the train would have taken me to get home, I had the most frustrating driver I've ever come across. And I use cabs a lot, right? I'm talking five, six, maybe seven times a week, I'll be in the back of a cab. But I came across the most frustrating driver. He gets in the car. We we start on the route. I promise we'll talk about football in a minute. I've got to get this off my chest. Otherwise, I'll just be in a dreadful mood. He starts on the way to my house and there's a bit of traffic. There's always traffic at that time. There is always traffic, whatever route you take at that time. That's just how it goes. So off we go. What does he do? He starts to panic. He starts to get stressed out about the fact that there's a bit of traffic. He starts looking at all these alternative routes. I go to him, mate, I've, I've done this journey a million and one times. I promise you there isn't a quicker way. You, you're just going to end up going around houses and it's going to take us just as long. No, 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 no. I know where to go. So what does he do? He turns the cab around and he goes to take an alternative, faster route. That route took us double the time that the other one would have taken us. And and so I come in the house and I was absolutely livid. I've wasted like two hours of my day on this nonsense. Um, you know, I've I've wasted my time um, trying desperately to <laughs> to get home, and uh, I finally made it in the end. And here we are, and I'm in a bad mood. And when we go through Mikel Arteta's press conference and we talk about some of the subjects that have come out of that. I'll probably continue to be in a bad mood. Um, the only thing keeping me going is the fact that you guys are all in the chat. I know people in the world have bigger problems, but you know, when you just had one of those days where you're just like, Oh, like I just want the day to end and we start again tomorrow and we go uh, fresh tomorrow. That's the kind of day I've had. But anyway, let's get, um, let's get into things then. So Mikel Arteta uh, faced the media this morning ahead of the game against Southampton. And obviously the first question put to him was around team news. Uh, everybody desperately uh, waiting to find out what the latest is on William Saliba in particular. Um, if you remember, we talked about it earlier in the week, didn't we? Because of course, uh, William Saliba was spotted on the old exercise bike alongside Mohamed Elneny. We wondered and uh, and hoped uh, if that was a positive sign, it looks like it, it isn't uh, based on what Mikel Arteta's had to say today, which is a little bit frustrating. Uh, so on Team News, he said, there's no big news. The picture hasn't changed uh, from last week. Regarding William, we still have to wait a little bit more. He's not progressing as quickly as we hoped, and it is a bit delicate. So we want to be certain that when we push him, he's ready to absorb the load and the risk that we'll take. And that's not possible at the moment. 
He was asked if William Saliba will play again this season. He didn't say yes. He didn't say, I'm confident that he will return to action this season. He didn't say any of those things. He didn't do anything, Mikel Arteta, to reassure us uh, that we will see William Saliba at some point again in the season. He said, I don't know. It's a bit early to know. Probably next week we'll have more certainty. There is some evolution. He's doing much more activity, but it's, he is not there yet to start to throw him on the pitch at the level the sessions demand for you to compete in this league. So this, for me, was like the worst way to start the day because there was a tiny part of me that felt like William Saliba was ahead of schedule, that William Saliba was further along in his recovery than Mikel Arteta was ever going to tell us or was ever going to tell anybody. That was kind of my hope all along, that you know the aim would be to get him back into the picture for Manchester City, potentially get him back into the, the fold for the Southampton game, even if it was to just give him a handful of minutes or just to have him in the matchday squad to get him back into the routine of things. I really, really hoped that that was going to be the case. And that was on the basis of the fact that Mikel Arteta has done this a lot in the past, where he's sort of not given us a lot of information and all of a sudden, bang, out of nowhere, players that we thought were ruled out would appear. And that would give us a boost. And psychologically, it would give the crowd a boost. You know, when the crowd would turn up to a game thinking that, you know, a key player is unavailable and then the team news comes out an hour before kickoff, it gives you a little bit extra, doesn't it? It gives you an extra spring in your step. It gives you a little bit more. And, and that's what I'd been hoping all along. But then when I sat and thought about it, you know, and, and I think about the players that Mikel's done this with in the past, I don't think Mikel was ever so honest or, or, or so clear about the fact that a player wasn't ready in the past, I, I don't think he used to do. I can't think of an example, and and let me know in the chat if you can. Where Mikel Arteta went, yeah, you know what? Well, he's still not there. Um, you know, it's not it's not developed in the way that we hoped. He's not progressed in the way that we hoped, and then he sprung a surprise. What Mikel Arteta normally does is say, "Not quite there yet. Not quite there yet. We're going to assess. We're going to see." Blah blah blah, and he kind of softly, sort of dances around the question, doesn't really give you a lot. Um, and then all of a sudden, bang, the player appears. But this time, I think what Mikel Arteta said is is really clear. And the fact that it is really clear um, feels to me like what he's trying to do is manage the expectation of the fans who are obviously hoping that William Saliba returns sooner rather than later. And it feels like he's trying to make the point as if to say, guys, stop talking about this every single day. Stop focusing on William Saliba's fitness because right now we've got seven cup finals to go and the players that are out there, the players that are going to be playing and are going to be competing, they need you and they need your support. So let's stop the Saliba chat. Let's not allow this to breed any further. Let's just put that to one side and focus on the players that we do have. And I think that was what Mikel Arteta was probably trying to do today more than the mind games that some people seem to think he's playing. Listen, if 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 William Saliba is further along than Mikel Arteta has suggested and he suddenly appears in the squad for the trip to the Etihad next week, I will be jumping up and down, honestly, because I think something like that would significantly increase our chances of, of getting a result. And that's what we need, a result at Manchester City. But looking at these comments and looking at how 
clear I think Mikel Arteta's been, it, it, it feels like a kick in the balls. It feels like, to me, there is a chance William Saliba doesn't play again this season. And we're kind of just going to have to get used to that. And, and we're just going to have to make the best of it. Now, we'll talk a little bit later on about the lineup. And, and for those of you that listen to the Arsenal Vision podcast, I know a lot of you do. Why wouldn't you? It's it's fantastic. It's probably, the for me, it's the best Arsenal podcast out there. Um, you know, there was an idea put across by Clive, who I'm sure you'll all know, one of the best uh, analysts in terms of his tactical understanding of the game out there. And he talked about a possible... Uh, sort of solution for the problems that we have defensively at the moment when it comes to injuries. And I want to talk about that a little bit later because I think it was um, it was really interesting. Uh, also, to, to make matters worse, uh, another member of our first choice back four uh, seems to be a doubt for the game uh, tomorrow as well. Alexander Zinchenko, who missed out against West Ham through injury. Uh, Mikel Arteta was asked about his fitness. He said, we'll see about that one as well. It's not certainty. It's a muscular injury and it needs some time to heal. And we're not there yet. Well, if we're not there on Thursday, mate, then the likelihood of us being there on Friday is very, very small. Uh, so I think if you read between the lines or if you take or if you break down what Mikel Arteta said there, quite literally, I think you'll you'll probably think, yeah, well, you know, this is this is not happening um, either. So we're going to be again without two of our back four by the looks of it. He was asked a little bit about um, Bukayo Saka. Um, you know, the fact that he missed the penalty last week. Will he continue uh, to take penalties? What was his response like? Obviously, Mikel Arteta was full of praise for the young man. Um, you know, he talked about the fact that he can use this as, as a bit of a positive, something that gives him motivation. Um, you know, and he would have felt the love from the rest of the club. Uh, that's what Mikel Arteta had to say. And then he was asked if Bukaya will continue to take penalties. And, and I thought Mikel's response here was fantastic. Yes, if he's on the pitch, we will throw him the ball and make sure he takes the next one. And I think he said something along the lines of, I will personally throw him the ball. I will go on the pitch or something um, and uh, and throw the ball at him and make sure he takes it as well. So that's good. Um, you know. That, that that's great. You know, we should back Bukayo Saka. He's been fantastic for us all season. Even the best players in the world, um, you know, can miss penalty kicks. That's how it goes. Um, look at Erling Haaland last night in the Allianz Arena. I bet my life on him scoring that and he blazed it over the top of the crossbar. These things happen. Uh, lots of talk about a wobble, as people are calling it. Um, you know, uh, people that have written us off this season. Mikel Arteta was asked what he has said to people who have written Arsenal off this season, and he said nothing. I cannot communicate it enough here properly, but what I can say is that our players have full belief in what we do and what we know is that what is at stake is incredibly beautiful and we want to fight for it. The best way to do it every single day is to continue to do what we do and tomorrow play really well, play with our crowd every single ball and, and and create, sorry, an incredible atmosphere and win the game. Um, he was asked a little bit about Ruben Sellers. He was full of praise for him. I saw some people uh, getting on to um, Mikel Arteta for his comments about Southampton. He said something about, you know, the fact that they've played actually quite well under Ruben Sellers, uh, that they were a better team uh, or they're a good team under Ruben Sellers and that they've picked up some good results. And at other times, they're sort of 
performances haven't really been reflected in the results that they've ended up getting. And I saw a couple of people on, on social media sort of digging him out. Alex Crook um, came out with a tweet where he said, oh, well, what, what team has Mikel Arteta been watching? As if to like kind of shit on the idea that Mikel Arteta believes that Southampton are actually a decent side under Ruben Sellers. Look, they've had a rubbish season. There's no doubt about that. There's no, there's no getting away from that. But I think someone who works in the media and someone who, um, you know, is constantly involved in the coverage of games and in the press conferences and in the build-up to games should understand that Mikel Arteta is simply being respectful of his opponent. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with Mikel Arteta being respectful to his opponent. If he had said Southampton are absolute dog shit, and then we go and drop points tomorrow, you'd all be jumping on his back saying, oh, look at Mikel Arteta, arrogant, blah, blah, blah. He's an arrogant so-and-so, isn't he? Look what he said about Southampton, and now Southampton are taking a point off them. Southampton have, you know, have taken points off of big sides this season. That's the weird thing about them. That's the scary thing about them. It seems like they're able to up their game or that their style is uh, more effective when they play against teams that play in a certain way. You only need to look at their results to see that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, Mikel Arteta is not going to come out and have a go, is he? Uh, he was asked about Ainsley Maitland-Niles' future, and he said he was a really important part uh, of our team, and he's a player with incredible versatility that has played in many different positions. For different reasons, some professional, some personal reasons, he's had to move around in the end. At the end of the season, we'll sit down and decide what is the best thing for everybody moving forward. He's gone. Um, he's gone. Uh, I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, this is a really interesting bit. So there was a question put to Mikel Arteta about Gabriel Jesus. The question was whether he's ready to play 90 minutes. And this kind of ties into a lot of the criticism that came Mikel's way uh, after the West Ham game, where people, including myself, were looking at that substitution and that change and thinking, that just doesn't make sense. Well, the fact that people are questioning whether Jesus is ready to uh, play 90 minutes got me thinking, you know, is this, you know, I know he, he, he sort of ran out of steam a little bit and it was clear that he and Martinelli, I thought, were sort of fading a little bit. But it seems like, based on this question and based on Mikel Arteta's response, which we'll touch on in a minute, that there were more reasons or, or deeper reasons. or In fact, there was a risk in leaving Gabriel Jesus on the pitch, in which case you can understand why that change was made. So Mikel said, we'll see if he's ready to play 90 minutes. We've been really careful. There have been some issues within that period when he was doing the final stages of his rehab, and we have to be really attentive. We have players that can change the game, that are fully fit and that deserve to play as well, and we have to be mindful of that. Uh, Mikel Arteta was asked about Thierry Henry comments. He said that Arsenal were too emotional in the week. Uh, he said that emotion doesn't win titles. Um, and uh, and uh, Mikel Arteta said, I don't know, it's just an opinion. He doesn't rise to that type of thing, does he? Um, this is the other kind of interesting point. The rest of the press conference is available for you to watch on YouTube if you type it in and search for it, uh, or you can read the quotes as I'm doing here. Uh, on the Arsenal website. I like to watch these things, though, because I think you get a better understanding of in what context some of the answers uh, were said. 
um, and you get a better understanding of how some of the questions were put over as well. So I'd always encourage you to watch them if you can. I think that gives you the best uh, sort of um, idea of, of how things went down, obviously, because you're watching it and you're seeing it and you're hearing it. But if you, you prefer to read it, you can do that on the Arsenal website at the moment. So he was asked about Emil Smith-Rowe. Again, this was a debate, I think, that really came to the fore after the West Ham game. And that's what happens when you drop points. Debates like this, they come up. Whereas for the past three or four weeks before that, nobody really questioned whether Emil Smith-Rowe was deserving of a place back in the starting eleven. And uh, this is what Mikel had to say on ESR's progression. He's pushing. And in football, what you did a year ago or a month ago is not important. It's about what you do now what you do yesterday and what you do tomorrow. The player has to have that mindset and the contribution has to be now to the team and he has to make us better and help us win games. He's very close. So the reason this came up after West Ham was because people were looking at some of the players that came on, most notably, I think, Fabio Vieira and going, well, this guy doesn't really score goals and he's not likely to have a big impact off of the bench. So why has Mikel turned to him? What was the point in building Emil Smith-Rowe back up to fitness if he's not uh, an option for us at the moment? And when I read this, and because I didn't watch the press conference live, what happened was I was stuck with some work and I was on a live show. And so I ended up reading it and then watching it. So when I read this first, I didn't really think that this was as significant an answer as I did when I watched the press conference back. And I think... Mikel Arteta is really trying to send a message with these words. And I think he's spot on. You know, it doesn't matter what Emil Smith-Rowe did in the past. It, can you hand on heart say that right now Emil Smith-Rowe deserves to play ahead of Martinelli? No. Head of Saka? No. Head of Odegaard? No. So where does he play? Where does he play? And and this is the thing, right? If if you go back to the, the sort of, you know, the... the the period in last season where Emil Smith-Rowe was really good and scoring goals and, and was really exciting, I think he was our second top goal scorer. You know, if you go back to that and you look at that iteration of Emil Smith-Rowe in his form at that point, you'd say, yeah, there's an argument that he deserves to be getting more minutes than he is currently. But I can't remember the last time Emil Smith-Rowe really, really impressed in an Arsenal shirt. Now, a lot of that is down to the fact that he was out for so long, but I have to think a long, long way back to get to the point where Emil Smith-Rowe was performing and impacting games for Arsenal in the way that Martinelli and Saka have been doing for most of the season. Now, people keep telling me that Emil Smith-Rowe could potentially play as an eight or could play somewhere else in the midfield. I don't buy that for a second. I believe that in Mikel Arteta's mind, Emil Smith-Rowe is, is a left-winger and that's where he's going to play. If you think about the best moments he had under Mikel Arteta's management, it was coming in off that left-hand side. But Martinelli has overtaken him. He's accelerated past him. And not only has Martinelli excelled and gone on to another level, but Kayo Saka has done the same on the other flank. Not only that, Leandro Trossard's come in. And Leandro Trossard has impacted games for Arsenal. And he's had a positive impact since his arrival. So even he goes above Emil Smith-Rowe in the thing right now, in the pecking order right now. I can see in the chat Damien saying uh, Emil Smith-Rowe could come on for Xhaka when we need to score goals. Um, maybe, maybe, 
in a certain game state and in a certain, um, you know, in a, in a certain moment, that would be something I'd consider. But I wouldn't ever start a game with Emil Smith-Rowe as an eight. What evidence does anybody have that Emil Smith-Rowe could cope as an eight? Because, yes, our rates get really high up the pitch. And, yes, our rates are really involved in our attacking play. But they're also involved defensively. Martin Odegaard is more involved in sort of leading the press the way he does from that sort of inside right channel. Granit Xhaka often starts that little bit deeper. You, you do see him from time to time go that little bit further forward. But the point I'm trying to make here is that this whole thing about Emil Smith-Rowe playing as an eight is something that the fans have cooked up. Because at no point have we seen sufficient evidence that he is ready or capable of doing that role for Arsenal Football Club. He isn't a granite Xhaka. He's more similar to Martin Odegaard, but you can't play with two of them because that upsets the balance of the team. So for me, his best position for Arsenal would be coming in off that left-hand side as he did so successfully uh, through large periods last season. If he comes on in place of one of the eights when we're chasing a goal and the game state allows that or calls for that, then fine. But you would not catch me starting Emil Smith-Rowe in an eight position in a Premier League game because I think that leaves us way too lightweight and that really upsets the balance of our midfield. Our midfield balance has been superb this season. With the exception of a couple of rotten performances, Xhaka, Partey and Odegaard as a trio has worked brilliantly. And there is no reason to drift away from that. Now, if you go out in the transfer market and you bring in somebody who you feel is an upgrade on any of those three players in those current positions, I'm okay with it. But if you're just trying to shoehorn a Mill Smith throw back into the side because you like him, because he's an Arsenal guy and because he, he's got the number 10 shirt, then give it a rest. Give it a rest. Okay. Um, that concludes the press conference then. So those were the kind of key takeaways and key points. I said I was in a bad mood today and um, and, and I am and I, I probably still am as well, if I'm being honest. Um, but I have had, I, I did have this morning a little bit of a wobble when I, when I read sort of the quotes coming out initially from the press conference because I really do think that our chances are, are really significantly damaged by Saliba not being available because I think outside of the fact that he's just a wonderful individual talent, I think that it really does impact on the team in a lot of ways. And we've talked about this for, for a, a good few weeks now. So I don't wish to go over old ground, but what I do wish to do is um, whilst showing you guys the lineup that I would go with uh, for this game, which you probably won't be surprised to learn uh, is exactly uh, the same lineup that Arsenal fielded uh, at the London Stadium against West Ham. I just wanted to share with you what it was that uh, Clive over on the Arsenal Vision podcast suggested Mikel Arteta does uh, in order to try and deal with this situation. And basically, in a nutshell, uh, go over to the Arsenal Vision podcast to listen to it in greater detail and to gain a, a much stronger understanding of it. But the way I understood it was one of the things that Arsenal like to do, and you'd have heard me talk about this at length on this show when we've sort of done tactical deep dives it one of the great things and one of the characteristics of this side is that it does at times when Arsenal are attacking become a front five you end up with the defensive line pushing really high up the pitch 
Thomas Partey protecting that screen just in front of him. Uh, the fullbacks stepping up as well, often tucking inside uh, in these situations, at least on the left-hand side, in order to provide that extra bit of stability. But then it allows our two eights to squeeze up the pitch and become part of this front five that you know doesn't allow defences really uh, to kind of get out. It suffocates them. It helps us to press when the ball gets turned over. But it also means that we've got players in between the lines of all of their defenders, which can cause opponents issues. That's why Arsenal have been so difficult to defend against. And what Clive's suggestion was, and I think this makes a lot of sense, is rather than trying to create the five by squeezing Xhaka and Odegaard up and then asking Kieran Tierney, who isn't really the type of player that wants to come in field to tuck in, and asking Rob Holding uh, to kind of step right up without an awful lot of protection around him, what Clive's suggestion was, why not revert back to a double pivot, which would mean, for example, Granit Xhaka dropping that little bit deeper alongside Thomas Partey. And then Granit Xhaka could potentially cover the spaces that Kieran Tierney leaves uh, by sort of drifting outside, taking some of the pressure off of Gabriel, who seems to have to do that all the time. Martinelli could tuck inside and Tierney could bomb on on the outside into the space that he likes uh, to attack. Now, he's not the same as Zinchenko. He plays a very different way. But you still end up with a front five if that is what you're desperate to do as a manager. And that is what your philosophy is built around. What you do, though, by having the double pivot is that you are then protecting. And the way Clive put it was you're protecting your fourth choice centre-back in Rob Holding by having Xhaka, Partey and White all in around him. And you're also taking some pressure off of Gabriel in the left centre-back position, who is having to do an awful lot of extra work out on that left-hand side. And I think that's impacting his game. I think there's a reluctance with Gabriel uh, to go out left as much as he would have done uh, previously because he maybe doesn't trust Rob Holding in the same way that he trusts William Saliba. And what you end up with then is that little bit of hesitation and that can cause a problem. But playing with a double pivot, whether it's Xhaka and Partey or Jorginho and Partey, would just give Arsenal that little bit more protection, protect the players that we look at right now and, and, and think are vulnerable in the absence of Zinchenko and Saliba. And um, and you still get that front five, only in a slightly different iteration with Kieran Tierney being the outside left and Gabriel Martinelli just stepping slightly in field. It's an interesting thought and it's an interesting solution. And when I first heard it, I remember sort of thinking to myself, well, you know, in theory, this makes a lot of sense, but I'm not sure that Mikel Arteta would risk changing things and would risk trying to get across some new instructions at this point in the season, having got to this point, playing in a very specific way that everybody understands. But the truth is he might have to. The truth is he might have to adapt the approach. And the truth is he might have to change it up. He might have to do something that's different. He might have to think outside of the box in order for us to get through this next seven games and hopefully at the end of it, still be sitting at the top of the Premier League. It's a really, really interesting one, isn't it? And and maybe a, a more experienced manager um, who trusts himself a little bit more would take that decision. I don't know. Maybe that's harsh. Maybe that's unfair to say. I don't know. I just think that, you know, he's, he's kind of damned if he does and, and damned if he doesn't, because if he does change it up and it doesn't really work, people will say, well, you got to 31 games, sitting top of the pile. 
lovely and you decided to change it up and it's been to our detriment. You flip it the other way and if it, um, you know, and if he doesn't change it and, and the results continue um, to not, I'm not going to say to be disastrous because they haven't been, but to to tail off slightly, which is all it takes really for this Manchester City side to uh, catch you, then people will say, well, you know, you should have changed it. So I don't think Mikel Arteta can really win either way on this. But I thought that was a really interesting idea. And it sort of involved Kieran Tierney being allowed to do the things that he's comfortable doing. Because, listen, it doesn't matter how much you rate Kieran Tierney as a left back, as a person. Uh, it doesn't matter if you love the fact that he walks around carrying his stuff in a Tesco carrier bag or whatever. It, the point is, is that Kieran Tierney, in the way that we want to play at the moment, doesn't really fit. He doesn't really look comfortable. So why not get him doing the things that he is comfortable doing, seeing as he's going to have to play? Now, the question is, is it worth the work? Is Zinchenko one more game away? In which case, you probably feel like you should be able to get through Southampton without making drastic changes to your system. Or, um, you know, is he going to be out for a period of time? Equally, even if Zinchenko is going to be back next week, there is a argument or certainly a case that going back to the double pivot would help Rob Holding. The question is, how much does that impact us in the build-up? And does Mikel Arteta want to take that risk? I would argue that individually, we've got a lot of firepower up front at the moment. Jesus and Martinelli combine wonderfully. I expect Saka to respond after what's happened. Um, and, and so I'm not too worried about us in terms of our attacking play. My big fear and my big concern about Arsenal right now is defensively. And so I'm leaning towards the idea of maybe just not not ripping it all up and starting again, not reinventing the wheel, but just slightly altering Granit Xhaka's instructions. He's a very intelligent footballer, Granit Xhaka. I don't care what anybody says. He's able to carry out tactical instructions. He understands the game really, really well. And I think he actually he's someone who probably could, if you spent a bit of time with him on the training ground, make those adaptations that would put us in a place and in a position uh, where we can potentially cover uh, some of the weaknesses that we undoubtedly have in our defence right now. You know, we're, we're not only without two of our first choice back four, but we're also without the next guy in line in Takahiro Tomiyasu, who without doubt would be playing football for Arsenal Football Club right now if he wasn't out for the season. Let's take a look at some of the stats and facts around this game, as we always do in our preview shows. Let me bring them up on the screen for you lovely people that are watching us on YouTube. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, uh, please do leave us a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel. If your brand spanking new, that really, really uh, does help and would be very, very much appreciated. Let's try and get up to 100 likes ASAP. Uh, but anyway, let's go uh, over to some of the stats, some of the facts, and uh, we'll reel those off for you as we continue our build-up towards this game. So, head-to-head, uh, -head, 47 games played in the Premier League between these two clubs. Arsenal have come out on top 25 times. Southampton, just the eight, and there have been 14 draws between the two sides. Southampton of late have been a bit of a bogey team for us. Uh, we drew at St. Mary's earlier in the season. We looked in cruise control in the first half, didn't put the game to bed, conceded an equaliser in the second half. I was at that game and I remember driving back from the South Coast, bitterly, bitterly disappointed. If you go back to the end of last season, uh, 16th of April, so around about this time uh, last year, give or take a few days, we were beaten at Southampton and that was a really damaging result in our hopes 
uh, of finishing in the top four. So when people say Southampton are useless and you, this is a foregone conclusion, no, there is something about Southampton and us lately where they've had our number. And I can't understand why, but they have. And that's something we need to be wary of. Take it back to December 2021. Arsenal ran out 3-0 winners at Emirates Stadium. Go back a little bit further uh, to January uh, 2021. The Gunners 3-1 winners at St. Mary's. And if you take it back to Wednesday, the 16th of December 2020, there was a 1-1 draw between the two sides. Now, Arsenal's form has dipped a little bit, but by most team standards, it's still pretty damn good. Uh, here it is on the screen for you. The Gunners uh, have uh, won three of their last five, two draws in their last couple of games against West Ham at the London Stadium and against Liverpool at Anfield. As for Southampton, they've lost four out of their last five. And it did look when Ruben Seles first took over, like they maybe had just slightly turned the corner. Um, I remember thinking that. Yeah, um, it's uh, yeah, they're not there now. Um, they're not there now. They're really struggling at the moment. Uh, so, um, yeah, current form book says there should only be one outcome here, but you never know, do you? Southampton sit rock bottom of the Premier League in 20th position. They've won just six games all season. They've drawn five and lost 20. Uh, don't even average a goal per match. Uh, average goals conceded per match is just under two. They've only managed four clean sheets this season, uh, which has obviously been disappointing. Um, their biggest defeat was at Manchester City, 4-0, and their biggest win was only a 2-1 win at Leicester City. When it comes to individual player statistics, Arsenal lead the way on all fronts in goals, assists, passes and tackles. Although when it comes to passes, James Ward-Prowse has sneaked in there in third place. He's a wonderful player and a player you cannot afford to give set-piece opportunities to. When it comes to tackles, he's up there as well, alongside Mohamed Salisu, who is in third. But Thomas Partey there leads the way. So those are some of the stats, some of the facts going into this one. Um, get a few questions in. We'll take a few questions before we wrap up. Uh, I've told you the lineup I'd go with. It's the same lineup that Arsenal played with last weekend on the basis that I don't expect Zinchenko or Saliba to be uh, available, given what we've heard and learned. Uh, so, yeah, so my uh, team is Ramsdale in goal. Uh, it's White at right back, holding Gabriel Tierney, Xhaka, Partey, Erdegaard with Martinelli, Saka and Jesus through the middle. I might look at somebody like Leandro Trossard perhaps earlier on in the game if things aren't going our way, if we feel that's what we need to do. I feel like Mikel Arteta sometimes leaves it a little bit too late. I'd like him to anticipate problems rather than be reactive to them. And I think that's something he'll improve on and develop on as he grows as a manager. We we often forget that this is his first job and we often forget that some of the people he's going up against have been doing this for years and years and years and know it inside out. So, you know, that is an area of development probably for Mikel Arteta. But anyway, um, get your questions in, get your thoughts in. Uh, we'll take a few of those before we wrap up. In terms of my prediction for this game, I'm going to go for a 2-0 Arsenal win. Um, fingers crossed uh, we can get all three points because you feel like if we don't, uh, we could be, you know, starting to lose our grip and, and that would be a real concern. I know Manchester City don't play in the Premier League this weekend, so it'd be impossible uh, for them to uh, overtake us this weekend. But obviously... There'll then be two games behind us and they'll have control firmly in their hands um, going into the remainder of the season. I also think I'm right in saying that this is the last time that we play before 
Manchester City, which is ridiculous, isn't it? I, I mean, I think that's embarrassing. The fact that their schedule is what it is means that we're always under increased pressure. And it just, to me, I think it's horrible. And Mikel Arteta didn't want to use it as an excuse. Fair play to him because I bloody would have. It would have been the first excuse I would have reached for. Uh, he's a better man than me. But he said maybe it's sometimes due to TV. Maybe it's sometimes due to um, due to policing issues around the capital as well. But anyway, um, that's something that I'm not happy about. And I'm, as I say, I think Mikel's a better man than me for for not wanting to use that as an excuse. Right, let's take a couple of questions. Let's take this one from Deflected Mind, who says, Harry, Leon were reluctant to even decrease 5 million on Awa. Now he'll be a free agent in the summer. Whenever we inquire, clubs are putting insane prices on players, even to their own detriment. Why? I think with Hussein Awa, um, Jean-Michel Olas, the Lyon president, I think he really overestimated what people were willing to pay for this player. And I think at the time I remember saying, well, this is a, a joke and we should walk away from it. I remember having the conversation, Awa or Partey, which one is it going to be? I remember doing those shows like it was yesterday. And um, and I remember saying that, look, every player has a price. A lot of clubs will try and, and sort of maximise that price. And I understand that. And I also understand that sometimes as a buyer, you will have to pay more than maybe what you believe uh, that player is worth. But there's got to be a limit. If you're going to run your club in a sensible um, manner and in a, a sort of responsible manner, then you need to have your limits. And Arsenal, I think, actually have been pretty good at that in terms of, being willing to make big offers for players that they feel are the right ones, but also knowing when they're being taken the piss out of and moving away from those things. Something that we certainly weren't good at in the past. You know, I think the Caicedo thing, I know Brighton didn't accept the offer in the end, but we obviously had our limit as to how far we were going to go. Mikhailo Mudrik, another example of where, you know, Arsenal obviously had an interest, but obviously had a very different idea about what the player was worth. Hussein Awa's problems, if I'm not mistaken, and if you follow French football closer than me, you, you might be able to shed some light on this. But I understand him more to do with like his attitude and other factors. So, you know, he is a free agent. That's how it goes. Uh, Jean-Michel Alas missed out on some, some big money because he probably thought the player was going to kick on, get better and better, and that the demand was going to increase. But sometimes things go the other way. Uh, hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, but yeah. Um, I wasn't massively keen on him then and I'm not massively keen on him now. So even as a free agent, um, I'm not sure that I would I would go after him. I've got to be honest. Sam Rudman says, do you think that Arsenal should sign a Giroud type player who can play the ugly side of the game well? Um, yeah, I'd like us to have a different option up front. I don't know it's about playing the ugly side of the game. I think that Somebody with an aerial presence, though, would would give us a different option and an alternative. And I think sometimes when we come up against low blocks, we're able to work the ball into those wide spaces. And if we had that option and that ability to hit someone in the box who has that physical presence and who could potentially win a header or whatever, I think that would be certainly welcome for sure. Uh, Hydro says, how would you feel if Zinchenko was fit for Southampton and we played Tierney as a centre-back instead of holding and see how he does? I'd be fine with that. But then you've got to play Tierney or Gabriel on their wrong side. And I don't know that Mikel Arteta would do that. The other thing with Tierney at centre-back is, does he have the aerial presence? Because whatever you say about Rob Holding, if you put a ball in his vicinity, a lot of the time he's going to win the header. 
because he is a, a big lad. He's got a good leap on him. He's 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 good aerially, Rob Holding. That's the one part of his game that I'm actually okay with. I think he's got a lot of faults and a lot of shortcomings, and, and he's nowhere near the level of William Saliba, but I think aerially is one of uh, Rob Holding's strengths. So that bit would concern me. But yeah, if it was Saliba, if, if it was Gabriel injured instead of Saliba, and we were in this position, I would probably be okay with Tierney playing centre-back, even over Jakub Kivior, based on what I've seen of the two of them so far. So I'm not against the idea of Tierney playing as a centre-back if we have to do that. I've actually referenced in the past that I think that's an option. But, you know, it's the wrong side. And I think that's the problem. And that's where we're really unlucky here. Uh, let's take this one from Odradek, who says, Harry, do you agree with Omri, who said that the team are a bit emotional? I think this emotional thing, it's a bit like the whole um, arrogant thing. I think these are narratives that only come up when you're you're having bad results or worse or, or poorer results than you've had of late when the expectation gets incredibly high and, and people just want to peg you down. You could argue that Arsenal are a little bit emotional at times, but I would counter argue that actually the reason Arsenal are where they are, or a lot of that reason, and a lot of the reason they've been able to build this spirit and this togetherness and this camaraderie that has seen us get over the line in some difficult matches and at some difficult moments is because of the fact that they're all emotionally in tune with one another. And Mikel Arteta transmits that onto the crowd and that comes from the crowd back onto the players. I think that, I think it's a, I think there are times where the emotions can get the better of you and you probably need to be a little bit colder, a little bit more serene maybe in certain situations. But I also think that there is more good that's come out of this emotional uh, sort of unlocking, if you want, that Mikel Arteta has, uh, has administered on this team. But yeah, I think there's there's more positive that's come out of it than negative. Um, but it's not a wild point. Like some of the things Thierry Henry has said about Arsenal in recent years have left me baffled. I can understand where he's coming from with this. Although I think that the positives outweigh the negatives. Nav says, what about Tierney as right back and White as centre-back, Harry? Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, if we had Cedric Suarez on loan, I'd put Tierney at right back at centre-back and put Cedric at right-back. I know people go, no way, you don't want Cedric anywhere near this team. I don't think he was anywhere near as bad as people made him out to be at times. Um, I mean, that's a possibility. Uh, you know, Mikel Arteta probably won't feel, though, that, um, that Rob Holding's been as bad as maybe we feel as fans. I think... I keep saying it, but I think maybe we've made a bigger deal out of it than it actually is, possibly. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously I'd feel more comfortable with the centre-back pairing of of White and Gabriel. But at the same time, Ben White hasn't played centre-back all season either. Um, Wesbird says, uh, so I've not dared to dream this season and have taken it one game at a time. And that strategy has worked so far. And whatever happens... It's been fab and feel the players need to play without regrets and believe. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that you, you've had the right approach. I think a lot of us have tried not to get carried away, but at some point or another we have. You know, you you fall into that trap, don't you, quite easily. And um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm at a point where, um, you know, I, I can see it in the distance and I desperately want us to achieve it. 
but I'm also pre preparing myself for the worst as well because just looking at these injuries and looking at the way they're likely to impact us, it it isn't impossible, but it is a much harder task and it has become a much taller order. So, um, yeah, that's how I feel on that. Right, I'm going to leave you guys to it because I think I'm going to get off and watch some Europa League football uh, from what I'm hearing at the time uh, we are live. Sevilla have taken the lead against Manchester United, which means they're 3-2 up in that tie. Uh, they'll probably have come back and won uh, the tie by the time some of you get around to listening this, particularly our audio listeners. But anyway, um, I'll leave it there. Thank you all so much for tuning in, as always. Uh, great to see so many of you with us in the chat. Thanks for uh, bearing with me with the alternative time today. And uh, we will be back tomorrow night after the game. Um, I think I'm going to try and get something out. It'll either be really late on Friday night or really early on Saturday morning because I'm working on Saturday at Fulham, uh, which means that I have to set off for Craven Cottage nice and early. So if I can do it tomorrow night, I will. Uh, player ratings will definitely be out. I know that some of you couldn't access the player ratings uh, the other day because uh, there was an issue with the Another Slice platform, but that's been resolved, um, I was told, and, and I saw that since pull through. So hopefully uh, that's all good now and you'll be able to access those around about an hour after the full time whistle. I'll see you all then. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Enjoy your Thursday night. If I don't speak to some of you uh, before, uh, have a great weekend. I'll catch you all soon. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.